Welcome back to the Evidence for Faith courses with Michael Lane. If you are enjoying our content and would like to hear more courses just like this one, you can become a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give. That's evidence, the number four, faith.org give. And while you are on the website, make sure to check out our other events and bookings. Our next big event is the Marine Biology Adventure Course for ages 14 and up. This introductory level marine biology course includes a variety of hands-on experiences and close encounters with God's creation. This is one of the most budget-friendly marine biology programs in the country and the only one with a core Christian foundation. To find out more about this program, visit evidenceforfaith.org marinebiology or check the events tab on the website. You can find these links and more in the description below. Thank you for listening and enjoy the course. Hi, and welcome to Evidence for Faith. I'm so glad you're joining me as we continue in our series, Abide With Me. And this is the fourth lesson in this series, and this one is entitled, For Apart From Me, You Can Do Nothing. Now, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And it confuses a lot of people. But we're going to break that down, and and we're going to take a look and see what this is is meaning. What's Jesus telling us when he says, For apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's open up with a word of prayer. We'll get into the passage by reading the passage, and then we'll get into it. Father God, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, and we just pray that you will just help us understand again Scripture that you have given us, this wonderful gift of your Holy Word. So speak to us, Lord. May your Holy Spirit do the teaching as we go through this, and bless us and keep us safe and help us to understand. And Lord, Help us to produce more fruit for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, the passage we've been studying is one paragraph in uh, ancient manuscripts, and it's John 15, 1 through 11. And as we've been doing, I'm going to read this again. I think it's important to reread paragraphs when you do a Bible study, and it, it seems to help you know keep everything in context when we do it that way. So this is out of the English Standard Version. And John 15, 1 through 11 reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you abide in me as I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and does not... um, and, and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. This, by this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So, that's an interesting thing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, Jesus made a lot of um, pretty startling statements when he was uh, teaching in his three and a half years of ministry here on earth. Uh, one of them is found definitely in this paragraph we've been studying where he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. I mean, let's let's just be realistic for a second. Is that really true? <laughs> I mean, really, apart from Jesus, you, can, you can't do anything? Obviously, Jesus is speaking of something different here. His statements, often as he was teaching, being a rabbi, um, a Jewish rabbi, and he rabbis would use um, phrases and things, and he did these frequently. And as Jesus spoke, a lot of times he confused people. Um, he confused them back then, and even today people are often confused sometimes by what he says. For instance, let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. Remember back when Jesus fed the 5,000? And it's, it's recorded in John 6, 53 through 56. Look what this says. Uh, what, what is written here? Again, it's out of the English Standard Version. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, that is a confusing statement to us even today, but even more so for the Jews uh, that Jesus was speaking to um, as they're sitting there, because according to the law of Moses, to drink any blood was taboo. Um, they couldn't even begin then to grasp the concept of drinking human blood and to eat the flesh of a man. That was just unfathomable. It, it, it couldn't even begin to come into their minds that this is what Jesus was meaning. They were so confused. So what did Jesus mean here? Obviously, he's not speaking in the physical or literal sense. He's speaking in the spiritual sense. He was making an analogy. Rabbis did that kind of thing. He was saying that just as eating and drinking are necessary for physical life, so also belief in his sacrificial death on the cross is necessary for eternal life. So what did he do on the cross? He offered his flesh as a sacrifice, and he sealed the covenant with his blood. I should add here that though Jesus is using the terms flesh and blood in this analogy, and that these two are present in the communion, the Eucharist, um, Jesus is not teaching that taking communion saves a person. That is not what he is saying here. No, we're saved by faith through grace. Um, but it's interesting that this is stating this. Um, Jesus talks about this, and this is present in the communion um, services that we do, and it's, in, I believe, symbolism also. Jesus often spoke on a spiritual level. A lot of times he did, and people would often get confused because they were taking it as a physical example. 
Uh, this part of the paragraph that we're doing in John here in our lesson, um, when Jesus says, for apart from me you can do nothing, that's a great example of this. He is not saying what the simple-minded person would think, though, on the physical level. Of course, people who are not Christians can do things. I mean, really, let's just be frank. How easy is this? Non-Christians can walk, they talk, they run, they laugh. I've sat down to have meals with them. They're breathing, they're still alive, and so much more that they do. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's speaking on the spiritual level. So what in the world is Jesus meaning? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, we learned in the previous lessons about grafting, grafting a new branch onto a tree trunk, and then that branch can produce delicious fruit. But the branch must abide in or remain in attachment to that trunk. If the branch does not remain with the trunk, it does, it does nothing and eventually dies. Matter of fact, I remember teaching a class on grafting one year, and I was going through the forest around a nature center where I used to work at a camp in the north woods of Wisconsin and teaching people to graft. And we were putting graft cuts of trees, branches of trees from one tree onto another tree. And sometimes I noticed that the branch that I had done had fallen off. You know, we, we secured it, but it had fallen off, and the branch was dead when I came back. If one cuts a branch off a tree and lets it fall to the ground, it does not flow with nutrients and stuff, and it doesn't produce any fruit. What it does is it dies. When I came back to examine the trees where we had done these grafting and some of the students that I had, and they were grafting, some of them, um, they didn't do it right, and it fell off the tree. The, um, the, um, the way that they had it tied on didn't hold during a storm or whatever. The branch fell off. The branch is now dead. It's only good for firewood or to be gathered and burned. That's it. You see, Jesus is telling us that to abide with him, we must remain attached to him. If we're real Christians and not Judas followers, we will produce real and good fruit. But to produce that real and good fruit, we must remain attached to the vine. How simple this is when you look at it this way. What a great analogy Jesus is giving us here, because without this attachment, we can't produce good or real fruit. Maybe I can help you understand this by telling you a story. Years ago, I met a minister named Peter Briscoe, um, his father, um, Stuart Briscoe, um, I knew him also, and uh, but Peter came to camp uh, that I used to work at, and he would speak sometimes. So I got to know Peter Briscoe. Uh, today, I think he's a pastor in Dallas, Texas. But he told um, told us a story, and I think it was the best analogy ever, the best explanation, I should say, the best best explanation I've ever heard of this passage of Jesus's analogy that apart from you can do nothing. Now. Peter didn't make this up on his own. He, he said that he got it from when he was a boy sitting in a Sunday school class, and a Sunday school teacher named Billy Strachan um, was the guy who came to teach his Sunday school class on this Sunday. And Billy Strachan um, 
it was at this time, like he was a youth pastor, I believe he said, but he was a magician. He would use, um, you know, illusions in his um, Bible lessons and stuff. And um, so uh, Peter Briscoe, he shared this with me, and I, I want to share it with you because this is just one of the best explanations of this passage I've ever heard. So let me take you back here to a little bit when um, Peter was telling the story. He says, Billy Strachan entered the Sunday school class where I was attending, and he said he was going to perform a magic trick in front of me and my friends in Sunday school class. Billy said, um, see this glove? And he held up, just held up an ordinary, like a golf glove or something, just held up a glove. It's a magical glove, he said. This glove can make this Bible, holding up a Bible now, levitate above the table. Watch this. Then he set down on the table the glove, the empty glove, um, just set it there, and he put his Bible on top of it. Then he stood aside and he shouted, Glove, lift the Bible! Nothing happened. He repeated, Glove, lift the Bible! Again, nothing happened. Then, he took the glove and, and put his hand inside of it, set it on the table with the Bible on top of it. Then he repeated, glove, lift the Bible. Instantly, the glove went up, of course, his hands inside, and it raised the Bible. Peter said, told the story that all of us, including him, um, yelled out, do you think we're stupid? It's not the glove that's doing it. It's the hand inside the glove that's doing it. And Billy Strachan, he says, exclaimed, exactly. You see, folks, this is what Jesus is saying when he said, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Do you see what Jesus was telling his true followers? Remember, this is, this is at the Last Supper. This is one of the last messages and teachings that Jesus is going to give his disciples before he goes to the cross. He's basically saying, folks, my friends, I'm going away from you. But I will send you my spirit, and he will indwell you. Paul wrote about this also, about how the Holy Spirit indwells true Christians. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, whoever, uh, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul also wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the, the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You see, before we became Christians, we're like that glove. It's, there's nothing there. It's just a, a dirty, old, and I mean filthy, dirty glove. It's not good for anything by itself. You wouldn't even want to put it on. It's so filthy. It's not good for anything. But when we accept Jesus Christ and become 
his true followers, when we commit and, and put our trust in him as our Savior, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to just and forgive us of our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, we're now clean and ready to be used for God. And listen, he just doesn't clean us. He indwells us. And what is really cool about this is then we're never alone because the Holy Spirit indwells us. You see, the glove with a hand dwelling in it, the, the glove is just the shell. The power and everything is from the hand. The glove, that's like our us ourselves, um, that's just the outer shell. It's what the Spirit does inside. And now by having the hand indwelling in us, like the Holy Spirit, we're capable of producing fruit. Do you realize having a glove on with a hand, the hand it's doing the work, but the glove is the one you see doing it. And now this, this glove can actually hand a person a glass of water. Uh, this glove can be used to feed someone. This glove can put the, their hand on, you know, put, put the hand on the shoulder or pat them or hold a hand. It can comfort someone. This glove now can help someone in a lot of different ways. Folks, it is capable of doing all of these things. The glove can do all these things only because of the power of the hand inside of it and how much more it can do. You see, when you put a glove on like that, the glove and the hand are morphed into one. And we Christians, we need to remember that it's not the glove that is actually doing it. It's the hand inside the glove. It gives the power to the glove to do the good deeds. The glove itself is only a shell. <laughs> you see how it's ridiculous it is for us Christians to boast about our accomplishments? It is the spirit in the glove, the spirit indwelling in us that does it. We're just the shell. We're just the tool, as I'm often fond of saying. Now, by having this power indwelling in us, the Holy Spirit in living in us, I've noticed as I sat and as I was preparing this lesson, I noticed that there's basically, looking with a concordance, looking up verses and stuff, that um, certain fruit is just automatically produced because of the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. What is the fruit that Jesus is mentioning in this passage that he brings forth in us? Well, from what I can figure out by looking at verses, there's about five different types of fruit that we can grow attached to the vine, which is God. I want to look very quickly and number these five different examples of what real, what good fruit of God wants us to yield. The first one. One type of fruit that we should all be yielding and bearing and be, it should be visible on the vine very easily is a Christ-like character. Because we are indwelt with God himself, his character should come through and easily be seen. What are the marks of this character? Well, Paul writes them in Galatians. Um, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fantastic fruits. The fruit of the Spirit. Oh my gosh. That's what we should, all Christians, should be expressing. A second type of fruit is a fruit of praise and thankfulness to God. You see, our lives, once we become Christians, should be exercising praise to God every single day. God gave us a whole book in the Bible full of songs to do this. It's the book of Psalms. We who are true followers of Jesus should be grateful and thankful for what he does. I mean, he tells us this having to do with um, fruit again. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, we read, Through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Another fruit. A third type of fruit. I'm going to call it purity in what we do and how we live. Purity. We live a life that is supposed to be now beyond deceit. True Christians, we should not be elements of deceit. We are to live a holy life in all that we do. Remember, everywhere we go, we bring God with us. Sometimes I wonder as we start to do something, are we just dragging the Holy Spirit? He's telling us, don't go in there. Don't don't go do that. And we say, well, I'm going to do it anyway. No, we're not supposed to be like that. The hand in the glove goes wherever, you know, where the hand goes, the shell goes. The, the outside of the glove goes with it. We need to be like that. And this is found also in Colossians 1, um, verse 10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. But here again, we see we're bearing fruit. And to be purity goes back to the book of Leviticus and even Peter, chapter um, 1, verse 15 of 1 Peter. We read, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Peter's just quoting Leviticus. We are to be holy in our actions. No, we're not saved to have a past and now do whatever we want. We are saved, and now we start producing the good fruit. This is one way you can tell if someone is saved or not, because if they continue in their life of sin and continue doing things that are contrary to the fruits of the Spirit, uh, chances are they don't have uh, the right Spirit living inside of them. Because God is holy, we start to change. As Paul tells us, we, we go through a metamorphosis. We change into a new creature, a new creation, and it's a holy one. Oh, we still sin at times, yes, but we try to denounce always our sins. The purpose is to try to be closer to God. One thing that I often challenge people to do um, at at, the end of the year is to go back and look at their life this past year. Have you grown closer to God? If not, why not? Have you produced fruit this year? If not, why haven't you produced an abundant crop? Why if it's only a couple of grapes? What's the problem here? A fourth type of fruit is being ready to lend a hand to anyone in need. Now, this is a fruit that shines bright on any vine. This thing just, this type of fruit really just shows. And just as the glove with the hand inside is capable, as I said before, of helping, 
We need to let God use us to help others. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16 reads, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. We should be helping. We should be the ones extending the hand of help. And then there's a fifth type of fruit. And this one is to teach others about Jesus. You know, we're all called to teach the world. That's part of the Great Commission and something else. That's part of a fruit. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20 is often called the Great Commission. Look what it says here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now get this next word. Teaching. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We're to make disciples, and we're to be teachers. You see, by abiding with Christ, his strength his power flow through us. And by producing all these fruits, people should look at Christians and say, I want that. I want to, what's, what's so different about you? I want what you've got. Just as a glove is totally powerless to do anything without the hand inside, likewise, we can't do anything without him. Thanks for joining me on this lesson we've had here today. I hope this has inspired you to start looking at the type of fruit you are producing. If you're not producing fruit, hmm, do you really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you really gone through uh, a pishtuo believing in Christ, as John writes in 3.16, which means to put your trust in and commit to have you ever done that? It's so simple. You just It's not magic words, but you just say, Lord, I am a sinner. I'm separated from you, but I believe that you are capable of removing all of my sins. I believe you died for me, and now I commit my life to you. Forgive me of my sins, and I want to live with you forever. It's not magic words. It's you can put it in your own words, but if it's really truly coming from your heart, it's just not reciting. It's what's from your heart. God changes us then because then he puts like the hand in the glove. He puts his spirit inside of us to indwell us. And the result is we're a new creation and we start producing fruit. I hope you are producing a lot of fruit today. So until we meet again, take care and may God bless. Thanks for tuning in, and thank you to our donors who make this program possible. You can help us produce the next course by becoming a donor at evidenceforfaith.org give, or use the links in the description. Don't forget to leave a comment, a review, likes, and shares to feed the algorithm and help others find this content. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.